Hello, Baker McKenzie welcomes you to Connect on Tech, a global podcast series covering legal developments on data, technology, privacy, and security that impact your business. Here's your host, Brian Hengisbaugh, Global Chair of Privacy and Security. Okay, great. We're excited to have back to the program uh, Lothar Dieterman, a partner in our uh, Palo Alto, San Francisco office, uh, extraordinaire on all kinds of privacy technology issues. Lothar, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be back. And so we are uh, going to talk today about uh, electronic signatures in particular. And we know that with all of the uh, the coronavirus issues and people working from home, you know, remote uh, is certainly whether it's teleworking or services remotely or mobile apps, et cetera, uh, all the more important. So we're going to be talking about those. But Lotar, before we even jump in, how do you feel? I feel great. And I'm glad you asked this, Brian. One of the most rewarding things that I've been working on these days was on a pro bono project launching an app called How We Feel. And it is an idea of the Pinterest founder, Ben Silberman. And he gathered a team of volunteers, developers, lawyers, and most importantly, scientists from Harvard Medical and a number of other renowned institutions trying to get an app out there that allows all of us to report on a daily basis how we feel to get more actionable data on which communities are hit, where are outbreaks, and a number of other very important data points. And so I'm hoping that you and everybody who listens to your podcast will download the app and contribute data to this. It's on a no-name basis. Um, It's not about identifying people, but the goal is to know where in the countries people are still feeling good, where are people not feeling so good anymore, what kind of symptoms they have, and that can be reported through this app super easily and conveniently. So I've already sent my report in today. It launched yesterday, and I hope you will do the same, Brian. And I hope you'll tell us now on this Connect on Tech, how do you feel? Well, you know, I, I was feeling good. And then after I asked that question, I started coughing. But I think I'm uh, going to be just fine. But uh, now that you put the spotlight on it, I'm sure I will record my, uh, my coughing into the, into the app for today. But uh, by the way, does that data go then to the CDC? Or what happens to that data? The idea is to share it the aggregate information as broadly as possible. Initially, there's a focus on a study by Harvard Medical. And if you click on the app, then there's actually a link to the CDC website and other important information. But the goal is really to let people within a few seconds report how they feel and a few other demographics about themselves to contribute this. It's a nonprofit, and the idea is to share data as broadly as possible. No, that's terrific. Okay, great. Okay, then let's hop right into it for um, for electronic signatures. So I, I do think one of the big uh, effects of the uh, the coronavirus and everybody having to stay at home, shelter in place for this period of time is that there's going to be you know this this in, increase if we could imagine it because there was already a pretty fast acceleration towards digital transformation and remote servicing uh, and uh, teleworking and telemedicine and all kinds of things. And that seems to bring up a question that I would say had a lot of active regulatory attention some time ago, but since has sort of quieted down and that's the whole area of electronic signatures. So maybe, maybe to kick it off, just spend a few moments talking about what the benefits of electronic signatures would be over the, the traditional pen and paper variety. With electronic signatures and documents, we can allow people to sign and execute documents 
so much more quickly. They don't have to meet in places, which is increasingly hard, rely on snail mail, circulate the same document. And the advantages are it's cheaper, it's quicker. The data can be stored immediately. Once it's stored, it can be searched. You can put retention deletion programs in place much better. And the benefits for saving trees are also not to be overlooked. Don't print this email, save a tree is what we often put on documents. So there's many advantages. The disadvantages are actually quite limited, I find in my practice, because even where people sign with ink on paper, we have forgery issues. And we also see often difficulties locating documents. You exchange signature pages at the end of a deal, but it is no longer clear which version of a document is related to. And so I'd say electronic form is, has great advantages for businesses, for government, for everyone. No, perfect. Now, I think, is, is, it, is it fair to say that people often wonder, oh, am I restricted or prohibited by law from using electronic signatures? And that's not really the right question, right? Is that fair? What, what is the right question when you come up to it from a legal perspective? The right question to ask is for a particular document or signature, is there any disadvantage from using electronic form? And most of the time when there is a disadvantage, it would be that there's some older statute where it is unclear whether the signature in electronic form is sufficient. But in many places around the world, that is no longer the case. Often clients come to us and say, hey, you Baker McKenzie, you must have a survey on this for many different jurisdictions. And we do. But the problem is that there is not one particular law to be looked at to determine whether you can sign all of your documents in electronic form. There are different laws in corporate tax, family law, real estate, commercial contracts, intellectual property, and these form requirements, they are often somewhat hidden. They use different language. They may say written form. They may say executed in writing. They may have a notarization or a witness. And you really have to look in a lot of different laws. And when clients just look at a survey, whether there is an e-signature law in a particular jurisdiction, they may not actually get the bigger point, which is, are there other laws that have stricter form requirements, which in no country of the world right now are completely listed or tied into these electronic signature laws. We have here in the U.S. e-sign, UETA, they're 20 years old. The Europeans have a newer regulation, but none of these comprehensively address all documents and all signatures. Yeah, very, very fair. So, I, I mean, the the UETA e-sign, right? UETA is the state law version, uniform version. E-sign does this really funky preemption thing where it says if, if the state has adopted the UETA uh, or something substantially similar to UEDA, then eSign will not preempt it with respect to that state's laws for writings. But otherwise, eSign does preempt it. So it's sort of a very complex 
preemption scheme. And it is what you said. And in fact, I wanted to just focus for a second. So on the, the e-sign UEDA side, it generally does the enabling of electronic signatures, meaning allows the recognition, you know, um, of electronic signatures. But then there's a number of exceptions built in, right, for real estate, um, you know, wills, um, uh, you know, some uh, certain types of transactions. So it, have you seen that there are maybe at a macro perspective, maybe give us your sense of are many commercial transactions going to be able to be enabled by electronic signatures and then sort of only a minority are going to be problematic or what's the overall and then, and maybe speak for a few minutes about any kind of uh, particularly problematic uh, areas where it's tough to get an electronic signature to be recognized. The laws that you mentioned were designed to support digitization, electronic signatures, electronic form, but they didn't go far enough and didn't say that all existing form requirements are overridden. The legislatures 20 years ago were not ready to do that because they didn't know what all those form requirements were. I actually have a paper out on SSRN. You can find it if you put my name and electronic form over substance. It will be published in the Michigan Technology Law Review. And it goes into the legislative history. So the exceptions that you find in these laws, they're just examples. And the examples of documents you can often not execute with pure electronic form in most countries around the world include family law, divorce, adoption, wills. Real estate in many countries requires notarizations. And then there are a few securitization, banking and finance areas that are also in most jurisdictions still subject to hand signatures. But in addition to those, there are random things all over the place. For example, in the U.S. Copyright Act, the transfer of a copyright requires a writing, and there are courts and leading commentators who say that means ink on paper. What the majority of commercial transactions requires is just a writing and possibly not even a signature and you can do commercial transactions verbally and for those transactions then a email exchange a scanned signature on a document or one of the new very versatile um, technologies like from the company DocuSign and there's a few other companies who offer this, they um, will absolutely suffice, probably go beyond of what is required by the law and give you a number of great advantages. You can put checkboxes to initial particular burdensome clauses that could otherwise be subject to conscionability review, contract adhesion, something like that. You can have people initial that they read and understood something and you can document when they signed it, where they were when they signed it, and probably do a lot more to retain evidence that you could show in court if somebody disputes that they signed the document. 
So many commercial transactions are okay, many corporate transactions, but it is country by country. And you're absolutely right. It's not about, is it legal? The question is always, will this serve my purpose? Does this protect my interests still? Can I go to court and prove with an electronic document that there is a contract, that I made an application, that a document was served on someone? That is the right question to ask. And so companies need to create a protocol with their most important use cases, put some thought into details of these use cases. Where is their entity? What is the dispute forum? What choice of law might be in the document? And then decide for every document what kind of technology they want to use for that. That is really the project in order to protect the company's interest while forcing digitization really quickly now that everybody's working from home. Yeah, that's terrific. And one point I just wanted to tease out and, and highlight that, that you mentioned was the uh, the court layer of it, which is think about where you might need to be enforcing. So you may need to look at not only court rules on the introduction of evidence, but also just what do you think? If, if you, for example, if you're in places of, in Latin America, the judges might not be so willing to recognize electronic signatures depending on their level of sophistication, et cetera. So as a practical matter, bringing in that court layer, if you do think there's going to be disputes uh, and being mindful of it can also be uh, quite, quite helpful. Absolutely right. Very good practical advice there, Brian. Perfect. Lothar Dieterman, uh, practitioner extraordinaire out on the West Coast, be safe. You be safe and healthy and download the app how we feel today. Okay. Thank you, Brian. I've stopped coughing. I've stopped coughing, so I'm good to record it now. Thanks. Thanks, Lotar. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for our next podcast when we connect on tech. For more information on data and technology, subscribe to our blog at connectontech.com or visit our website at bakermckenzie.com.